Hey, welcome to another edition of the Uncontrolled Tire. Tonight we're talking NASCAR at Fontana as we wrap up this West Coast swing. Hey, welcome race fans again. Brian Donati here, Matteo Macheski coming to you live. Again, we're covering some hot topics this weekend, Matteo. We've got some qualifying debacles. We got Harvick crashing early, Toyota dominating, and we've got equal representation in the top 10. So we got a lot of topics to cover here for you folks, and we're just going to jump right into it, Matteo. What do you say? I think that sounds good. You know, the first hot topic we've got is kind of the qualifying debacle. You know, we went through uh, on Friday where only 24 cars took time this week. That makes 13 cars didn't pass tech. Not sure what's going on there. Yeah, it sounds like uh, they're trying things that uh, aren't quite within the rules one way or the other. I mean, uh, you saw Alex Bowman, you saw uh, Clint Boyer, Chase Elliott. I mean, most of the Hendrick cars, or I believe all the Hendrick cars, and then the, uh, and then a couple of SHR cars, I believe. I mean, it was just a spread among everybody that just didn't couldn't make it through. Yeah, Fontana is one of the most aerodynamic, you know, racetracks these guys go to. I mean, throw out Daytona, throw out throw out Talladega. I mean, it's. You know, that's that's a lot of aero, but it's you get into a pack and you're kind of, you know, you can go anywhere. But this is the most aerodynamic that they go through. And, you know, I watched a little bit of the, you know, the telecast on Friday, and it seemed that everybody had the same issue across the board. It was a lot of the body stuff. There was, you know, some other smaller stuff, but I'm really just not sure um, really what's going on. These guys, you know, they've got a template. Most of the teams have the OSS system you know, in their shops, so they should have some idea, you know, when they get to the track, but it just doesn't seem like they did this week. Yeah, I guess not. I mean, I'm sure people are trying to get away with whatever they can get away with, and with there not really being a huge um, consequence of not being able to pass qualifying tech, they just wanted to try to push the limit when they could. Yeah, I mean, again, 24 cars taking time, and, you know, and again, you know, fans, the, the format for qualifying there was... You know, they cut to, after the first round, they cut to the top 24. Then you go around again, you take top 12, and then that's who fights out for the pole. So if you were really one of the smaller teams that were able to get out, you know, Greg Golding was a perfect example here. You know, had, a, had his best qualifying start, you know, of the year in 20, I think of his career uh, in Cup starting 20th. All he had to do was go out and make a lap because, well, they got through Tech. Yeah, I mean, same thing with with uh, Chris Busher. He was able to make the final round and uh, qualified 12th because he was one of the 24 cars that made it through Tech. Yeah, I mean, and NASCAR did a really good thing. So, you know, California or Fontana is really kind of that point. Um, that asphalt really kind of tears it up, and the bumps are tremendous. I mean, I, don't, I, I was wanting to know, you know, kind of what those shocks look like after they're done you know, with that race of just the bumps that go up and down, you know, on the backstretch. But NASCAR stepped in late Friday afternoon, Friday evening, and said, listen, you know, gave the teams an option to purchase an extra set of sticker tires due to the fact that only 24 cars made laps. And it wouldn't be fair um, for those 24 cars to, you know, start the race 
on older tires per se and the 13 that didn't have new tires sticker tires per se and come up through the front so i'm glad that nascar made uh made that decision what are your thoughts on that i mean i think uh i think it could have been a show for sure if they would have let him start on unequal tires but i get where they're coming from with the uh with the fairness aspect of it i mean obviously you gotta put everyone on the same set of tires or else teams might start to not even try uh, inspection and just not even make a run and then just make a run in uh, in the race and make their way through the pack even quicker. Well, you know, we saw this in Atlanta and only really one team really had the problem with the, you know, in qualifying. And that happened to be Martin Truex Jr. in the 78 Furniture Row Racing Team where they didn't get through tech. Um, during the qualifying on that Friday. And so they had to start in the back. Um, at that time, it really wasn't that big of a deal, but he started on stickers where everybody else had, you know, at least a minimum of three laps on their tires due to the qualifying. And, and you know, we saw that he was able to come up and through that. Um, and so I think, you know, again, NASCAR seeing that only 13 teams out of the 37 didn't take time and, um I think they did the right thing that stepping in and giving the teams the option to purchase that set of tires. I do know that there were a few teams that did not just because of their budget limitations. I think the 55 of Reed Sorensen, the 51 of Timmy Hill um, didn't, uh, didn't purchase new tires. And I'm not sure, but I'm almost positive the BK racing and, and Greg Golding actually, you know, who did start 20th did not buy an extra set of tires. Yeah, I mean, you got to think about that. You got to think about the smaller teams and when NASCAR steps in and says, you can buy an extra set of tires, that's not really a solution for some teams. Some teams just can't afford to buy that extra set. They only have enough for the sets that they plan to use and you get that extra couple thousand dollars that's not necessarily in the budget for most or most back marker teams anyway yeah and i think you know i again here's the next question i have though is this is this something nascar can fix can they fix this is i mean again it's it they're not going back to california this year but eventually they're going to run into this problem again if it continues and continues is this something that nascar can fix or you know is this too much of a rush on fridays you know it used to be where they had a little bit of a you know time frame in between. Now it seems like everything is so compacted and rushed on a Friday. I mean, I think they're in. They're going the right direction with the changes they've talked about since uh, since like Friday happened, and they were thinking about what was coming next at Martinsville. And I think them c- combining the two qualif or the two inspection. Um, rounds essentially just having the one after qualifying is going to be a huge help to teams i mean i think just letting them go out with whatever they have and if it's out of the rules take away their time make them start from the back on the same tires as everybody else well you know i heard an interesting you know comment statements uh, across the board you know it's been said on twitter and everything else um and some some other you know reputable shows um, that have said, listen, you know, these guys are on charters. If they don't go through qualifying and they don't start a lap, you know, or if they don't do a lap in qualifying, really, what's the penalty? 
there really is no penalty other than starting in the back of the field. But in some tracks, I can see that, you know, Martinsville, Richmond, you know, Bristol, I can see that. But when you get on a mile and a half and you're a pretty decent team, really, what's the penalty? Yeah, and I don't really think there is one right now. I mean, you can make them start from the rear, but if you don't do a qualifying lap, then you're going to start from the rear anyway. So that's not really a uh, an incentive to make a qualifying lap. It's a strange system with the charters now because you don't have any open teams essentially other than you got like the 96 of DJ Kennington and a couple teams during the 500. But other than that, you really don't. Yeah, I mean, they haven't had actually a full field all season long. You know, we're, we're you know looking at 37 cars, 36 cars, and some of the races already this year. I think Atlanta there was only 36, and, you know, so nobody's going home. So it's an interesting, you know, debate that goes on and on um, regarding qualifying on Fridays. And, you know, does NASCAR need to step in and look at the rules maybe a little bit differently? Um, you know, I've heard anywhere from – you know, hey, listen, if you don't take a qualifying time and you don't get through tech, you know, you don't pass tech, then uh, you're fined $25,000 right off the bat for the first time. And then, you know, as they go through, they start taking away crew chiefs and and car chiefs and things like that. I'm not sure that's the fix um, to do this. Um, I think NASCAR is back themselves kind of in a corner, and they've, they've just got to figure it out. These teams are smart enough to figure this stuff out. Yeah, and I think the money thing is not really a solution. Even when you talk about, like, the lug nuts, the $10,000 fines, you have one lug nut loose, you get $10,000 for the crew chief. That's just not a good solution. It's a slap on the wrist, if at all. If it's any uh, punishment at all. I mean, you think about the te- these teams have millions and millions of dollars, most of them, Um to spend it's like ten thousand dollars that's nothing and really it's only a punishment for the small teams with your limited budgets but really i think points i think crew chiefs car chiefs i mean crewmen i think even a new uh penalty could be just to say one crew guy is out you pick which one and your roster goes down by one yeah that's very true Well, race fans, stay tuned. We've got a lot more coming up here. We'll be right back. We're going to talk Kevin Harvick, Toyota, and everything in between. Be right back. At Performance Motorsports Network, we are Equal Opportunity Gearhead Radio. We don't care if you're in a NASCAR, ARCA, World of Outlaws, the Sports Car Club of America, NHRA, motorcycles, boats, airplanes, lawnmowers, or jet-powered bar stools. We are your source for motorsports. From great shows like Heels on Wheels to Motorsports Madness, Burning Rubber Radio to The Stock Car Show, Down and Dirty to Race Time Radio. We have opinionated hosts like Mitch the Dr. Walker and Dan Smith, Tom Baker and Colleen Allen, and we like it that way. So if you're tired of those contrived deadline reality shows all over those cable TV ad channels, step up to real racing. And we play some awesome cruising tunes as well. PerformanceMotorsportsNetwork.com and PMN2, your source for motorsports. Hey, welcome back, race fans. Brian Donati here along with Matteo Marqueski, and we're talking Fontana. And the next topic of the day, Kevin Harvick goes out early, Matteo. Yeah, I mean, he was uh, racing, I think it was for second or third, with Kyle Larson and just 
got a little too close. I think Larson might have faded the same way as uh, Harvick. They got together, and Harvick ends up in the wall. His day all but over. He did finish, but I believe he finished 35th, um, like seven laps down or so. Not a good day for Harvick, and that uh, hot streak really comes to an end at Fontana, even with a fast car. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, finishing 35th, nine laps down at the end of the day, but, you know, wrecking in the, within the first 22 laps, I believe it was, was way too early to be racing, and, and you're right, racing, you know, Kyle Larson, and, you know, Kevin Harvick did, you know, take blame for that, um, he was trying to get a side draft, but, you know, as he said in the statement after the race was over, and, you know, everybody was really waiting to see what was going to happen, right, and, uh, you know, as they got on pit road, it did just seem that cooler heads prevailed. He realized what he did was wrong. It was a mistake, uh, but still way too early to be battling that much. 22 laps in, you know, into the first stage when that, you know, stage one went to 60 laps, plenty enough time. And you're right. He had another fast car right off the truck uh, on Friday morning, all the way through, even through qualifying, you know, our last you know, topic we talked about was in the qualifying. He was one of the ones that got through tech and, you know, pretty much set a track record within the first round. But so, you know, clearly a fast car, but just what a shame. Yeah, I mean, it was a weird sight to see, to just see him turn directly into Larson and then just pound the wall. It's Larson's lucky he didn't get taken out in that and... I'm not sure what Harvick was exactly thinking, because even late in the race, we never really saw side drafting come into play. Even at a two-mile track like Fontana, where your aerodynamics are going to be big, you never really saw side drafting as much as I would have thought. Yeah, I think with the new rules package and everything they've got going on, you know, even this year, I think teams are, are, are really trying to try that out as much as they can. And I think it just got the best of Kevin Harvick. I think that... You know, as he said, you know, he tried to, you know, come down on the door a little bit. Um, again, just being aggressive, trying to make that pass, got stalled out there. And lo and behold, there's Larson. And, you know, I think Larson's radio was, man, what did I do wrong there? And, of course, everybody on his radio said he did absolutely nothing wrong, trying to figure out why Harvick was being so aggressive. But, you know, Harvick said it best right before the race started when they were talking to him on the radio that, you know, you almost have to be aggressive and, you know, you get a car back in the, you know, in the back and, and you start getting that arrow tight, you know, and that arrow push going through the corners. You got to get ahead of somebody as quick as you can. Yeah, I mean, he was trying to make the pass. He, he was doing everything he could. But at that point, I think you're better off sliding in behind and seeing if you can get the draft from behind and slingshot through there. Um exiting a straightaway and entering a turn i mean not exactly sure i think he might have just been trying something maybe taking notes in his head for later in the race see if side drafting works and maybe you'll make the pass for the win later using that tactic but man it was just too much yeah he did hit those seams you know that's one thing we don't have here talking about it um this evening but you know we'll bring this up real quick is you know for those of you who watch that race and notice you know, all those seams in the corners. Drivers hate those seams. Those seams are cracks that have been filled um, with a sealer, and they make the car real slick. You know, we saw it on Friday with, 
with Daniel Suarez and they, you know, and got into the wall early. But, you know, talking about Kevin Harvick, this seems to be he's either feast or famine. It's all or nothing with this four team this year with three wins and two wrecks. So, um, I don't know. This team's just got to be able to finish. Yeah, I mean, it seems like if they finish, they win. Um, <laughs> Correct. It seems like uh, those wrecks, I mean, that you got the Daytona wreck. That's just bad luck. It's Daytona. I mean, what can you expect? But uh, but then you have your this wreck here. I mean, again, another another mistake. And I think that team still has so much speed that your wrecks are going to happen, but I think they're still going to win a lot of races this year. Well, it could have been, like you said, and we, and we just talked about it, it's more the aggressiveness of Kevin Harvick, and I think it kind of shocked him too. Again, you know, early on in the race, trying to get that pass, um, you know, and like you just alluded to, it, it, it very well could have been that he was trying to set something up there to try to get by. But for five or six laps, I think it was, they were just, you know, nose to tail. One would go underneath down on the low side, which would be Larson. Harvick would take the high side, then Harvick would take the low side, then Larson would take the high side. It just seemed like it was just way too aggressive um, that early on. And I think it really took Larson by surprise of how aggressive Kevin Harvick was that early on. I think he thought that they would be able to have some time to just settle in, get back. Because, again, you know, even though Kevin Harvick's day was done, and Larson, you know, granted he ended up finishing second um, within the race and had a really fast car there towards the end. Who knows what that car would have been had that damage not happened. Yeah, I mean, it definitely set him back early on. I mean, he uh, he was running up in the top five. He got set back by that damage. I think at worst he was like probably just inside the top 20. And he was able to make his way back near the end. But yeah, like you said, I don't know. He could have, It could have been a race-winning car. And even if you added 10, 15 laps, it might have been a race-winning car. Although, Truex was pretty far out front at that point. Yeah, I think he won by like seven seconds. <laughs> I think it was. But yeah, I mean, give credit to where credit is due to Larson. And, um, and we'll talk about that when we get down to the later segments when we talk about the, you know, the equal representation across the board. But you know, again, you know, it, it comes back to, you know, Kevin Harvick. Again, that team has been fast everywhere they've been, um, you know, for all five races this year. So here we are fast right off the truck. I think he said they made one or two, you know, major changes there on Friday morning during the practice. But, man, when it came to qualifying, like I said, he set a track record there in round one. Now, that doesn't count towards the track record because it only has to be for when he runs for the pole, you know, when they get into that final 12. But, man, I, there's, they've got something figured out on that, on that Ford team. Yeah, and I think even the other SHR cars haven't really found what Harvick has, and it's pretty incredible, to, to be honest. I mean... It's got to be the the brainchild of Rodney Childers, whatever they have going. I mean that uh, he's been probably the best crew chief in the garage, even topping, I would say, Chad Knaus. I mean, you think about you think about Rodney Childers, you think about maybe Paul Wolf as a couple of the best crew chiefs in the garage, but Childers has something figured out. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, the whole Stuart Haas racing has shown flashes of brilliance when it comes to the speed. Um, you know, Amarola finishes 10th, Clint Boyer finishes 9th, Boyer ends up finishing 9th in both stages, collecting that, you know, that extra two points with every stage. But you're right. And, and you know, Kurt Busch ran well. I mean, he qualified 7th and, you know, finished 14th, and he finished 7th in the first stage. But just not enough to what Harvick has not only from the green flag, but to the final checkered flag, especially on the mile-and-a-half programs. Um, there's just something across the board. But, yeah, Stuart Haas has got to get it figured out. Rodney Childress, a former race car driver himself back in the early days. Um, again, I, I'm not sure it's all Rodney Childress. I'm sure a lot of it's Harvick. But that combination of being able to talk what Harvick wants in the car that shows a lot, and that is showing up a lot and early this year. Yeah, I mean, I think that communication certainly comes into play, your crew chief driver relationship, and we've seen the that sort of come to blows with uh, Jimmy Johnson and Chad Knauss, where you've got arguments between the two and really not good cooperation a lot of the time. Yeah, it seems to be some breakdown, but I, you know, and I, and I think that when they get back in the garage, one thing that we don't hear with Harvick and and, and uh, Childress is the is the fact that it's, you know, you're not really sure what they're saying, but, you know, all in all, that team is is ready to go, and I think is ready to, you know, get back on top and win that championship. Yeah, I mean, I think they're they're definitely in championship form as early in the year as it is. I think. You get into the playoffs and you're still you still have that speed you have now. They're definitely a championship contender. Yep, nope, absolutely. Well race fans, we'll be right back after this short message. We're gonna get into the Toyota and the domination race that they had. And then we're gonna talk about some equal representation that we had in top ten. First time we've seen this um, in a very long time with the Toyotas of Fords and the Chevys. We'll be right back after this message. The Performance Motorsports Network is your home for everything racing. From NASCAR to dirt tracks, from Formula One to the SCCA, from IndyCar to Pirelli World Challenge. Hell, we even cover tractor pulling and lawnmower racing. So if you're looking for real motorsports, not some reality show about fake street racing, you need to check out Performance Motorsports Network. Pick up a smartphone app from our website or our Facebook page. Grab an app from TuneIn or AHA Radio for your car's infotainment system. Or check us out on iTunes, Apple TV, Google Play, or any of the other popular audio streaming platforms. Great shows, incredible race coverage, and awesome cruising tunes. And it's all for free. PerformanceMotorsportsNetwork.com and PMN2, your source for motorsports. Hey, welcome back, race fans, to the Uncontrolled Tire. I'm your host, Brian Donati, along with Matteo Marteschi. And today, we're talking Fontana once again. And now we're talking the domination of Toyota. We're not talking domination of Ford this week, Matteo, but we're talking Toyota. Yeah, we had a little bit of a changing of the guard in the, in the microcosm of our 2018 NASCAR season. And we see the uh, Joe Gibbs Racing and Furniture Row really show up and just dominate. I mean, leading 188 of 200 laps. Only 12 laps were led, uh, were led by drivers other than uh, those at JGR and Furniture Row. Yeah, I mean, when you lead 94% uh, 
of the ra- of the laps within that race. You know, that is that is pure. Don- that's that's Harvick esque. You know, as we just got done talking about being fast, but ninety four percent, like you said, twelve laps. Uh, you know, not being covered. You know, by a Toyota. I think you had Lagana who had led nine laps. You had uh, William Byron who got a uh, you know to lead a lap there in his short uh, illustrious rookie career. That was after some uh, some pit stops and some gambling there. And Jamie McMurray even led a lap along with Casey Kane. But again, that was just completely under uh, under some cautions and uh, under pit strategies and things like that. But yeah, what can you say about Mark and Mark? Martin Truex, I'll get this out right here, fans. Wow, say that ten times. Martin Truex wins both stages and wins the race with a clean sweep, the full sixty points. Yeah, I mean he he won both stages. He led one hundred twenty-five of the two hundred just alone. Um, it was a really really impressive showing, very reminiscent of last year and how he won it. I think it was eight races and just dominated a bunch of races like he has he did at fontana there i mean it's unbelievable that he can come back into 2018 and after a few races put on the performance he has yeah this is the third time he's done that um you know since they went to the stage racing in the playoff format uh he did it twice last year and then once already this year so again this one could only hate one could only think fans is martin truex and that team back with the dominance they had from 2017. Yeah, I mean, I think they are. I mean, they made it very clear that they're not playing around and they haven't lost anything from 2017. And they are just showing them, uh, showing them what for. Well, I mean, goes out, sets on the pole, wins stage one, wins stage two, wins the race. I don't think there's anything he didn't do this weekend. Yeah, he left uh, no questions out on the table, and he won the poll last week, too, at Phoenix. I mean, he hasn't been short on speed all year. I mean, there were a couple of, I think, Atlanta and Vegas, he sort of stayed top 10, got in the top 5 a little bit, sort of stayed around there, wasn't able to quite get to the front and lead a bunch of laps, but this week he showed that he can still do it. Well, we did. We talked about this earlier, you know, in the in our first topic of the evening when we talked about the qualifying debacle that we had there in Fontana. But remember, Martin Truex Jr. didn't qualify in Atlanta and ended up finishing, I think, in the top five in that race. Ran up in the top five pretty much most of the day there. So, you know, when we talked about in our earlier shows, was he, you know, was there a little bit of a struggle? I don't think so. I think they just got set back a little bit. You know, behind the eight ball, obviously, again, Daytona, throw Daytona out. Um, but he's come back, and he's come back with a vengeance. Uh, Martin Truex Jr. now leads with Toyota, leads the points over nine um, over Kyle Busch. Now, taking into consideration the playoff standings, and you know, that looks like Harvick, Truex, Dillon, and Busch at this point in time. But, yeah, Toyota just completely dominated this race with four out of five in the top ten. Oh, yeah, and I think, I mean, Toyota had four out of the top seven. I mean, the only car they didn't have from JGR Furniture Row was Suarez in 23rd. I mean, that's a pretty concerning stat to see Suarez in a car that just two years ago was contending for the championship with Carl Edwards, seeing him struggle, only has one 
finish on the lead lap. That's eighth place at Phoenix. He just hasn't shown the speed after a whole year in Cup to really contend for wins or even lead many laps. I mean, there's just something not there for him. Yeah, I thought for sure he would do a little bit better there being an open track. But again, you know, he had that, you know, had the struggle, had to go to a backup car on Friday afternoon, didn't get any time at all in the backup car, um, you know, before qualifying. And remember, fans, you know, these backup cars now, when they come to the racetrack and they're in the hauler, they're not complete and ready to go. They have no motor. They have no shocks. They have very little stuff that's in there, so they have to be able to take that stuff either, A, out of their primary car or put new stuff on, but it has to go through the inspection through NASCAR. So I think if you do have a little bit of an issue, um, like Daniel Suarez did, um, you're going to end up having that issue. It's going to put you back behind the eight ball. And again, he didn't even make it out for qualifying, which they knew that was going to happen. Um, And he started 30th uh, on the day, so... To only pick up seven spots was a little disappointing, and I'm sure Daniel Suarez will say the same thing. Yeah, and I think looking at his stats from last season, it's not a huge beacon of hope. I mean, he has, he does have 12 top 10s, which is decent, but he only has one top five and only 40 laps led uh, over like three or four races. It's not exactly uh, outstanding for the equipment he's in. I mean, you see his teammate Kyle Busch dominating race after race. Granted, Busch has so many more years' experience, but with the equipment he's in, it's a little bit disappointing. Well, he ran well, you know, I think in some of the smaller tracks that we've got coming up, the Richmonds, the Bristols, the, you know, the Martinsvilles and things like that. But, you know, to get back at Fontana here, though, to, to have... Toyota just completely, I mean, we can't say this enough, um, completely dominate, you know, this race in Fontana. It kind of goes back to, if you're a team, now Harvick wins three in a row, but if you're a team and you get out in front, you're staying out in front. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty clear that Gibbs, although Haas has made their presence known, Gibbs is still the top dog. I mean... They have been for the last few years. Furniture O came up when they uh, allied with Gibbs, and now it's just the Joe Gibbs Racing show. Um, it seems like most weeks, I mean, you have the odd uh, Penske win or maybe a Richard Childress win and uh, a Stuart Haas win, but largely we've seen JGR up front last year, and I expect more of the same now that we've seen what tricks can do. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think with Kyle Busch, you know, again, getting back into that seat, getting, you know, just taking that team. And, and we all know what Kyle Busch is about. We all know what, you know, Kyle Busch is, you know, really, really striving for, as well as any other race car driver out there is looking to, to get out and win and win stages and win points and get to that playoffs and, you know, hopefully win that elusive second championship. Um he just gets the most out of when a car is not right. I mean, they had a car that was running up front most of the day. On the last pit stop, the crew guy went the wrong way on the on the adjustment. And so when they did that, he basically had to, you know, readjust the car from inside with his track bar. So, you know, 
to have that and to be able to still finish third, and I think at the end of the you know that long run there, um, we're still starting to catch Kyle Larson. Yeah, I mean, Bush certainly, out of anybody in the garage, he certainly can nurse a car that isn't right at all to the finish line and still have so much speed, even just with a car that's not right. He can still bring it home in a good position and not really lose as much time. I mean, you think about, I mean, he could drive a car with a flat tire and probably finish inside the top 10. It's just insane. Yeah, well, looking at his stats, I think Fontana and Auto Club Speedway is one of the best tracks, you know, that he has. He's raced there 20 times, and he's got 14 top 10s um, within the within those 20 races. So he definitely knows what he's doing there, and he definitely knows what he wants, you know, in his car. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, other than Bush and uh, Drex, I want to give an attaboy to Eric Jones. I mean, finishing... P7, scored in both stages, didn't quite get to the lead, but he had a really, really solid day. Yeah, 8th after stage 1 and 5th after stage 2. That Sirius XM Toyota looked really cool on the track and really looked uh, really looked pretty stout there for the most part. Again, I think when it came down to uh, pit strategy there at the end, kind of got, uh, kind of got a little away from him there. Yeah, maybe, but definitely a uh, strong showing for that 20 car. Yeah, no, totally agree. So, folks, really what we're going to do right now, we're going to come back, we're going to pick up our last topic and our last segment around uh, in this show. We've got talking about equal representation in the top ten. We're also going to talk about a new little topic that we're going to run through. We're going to call that Fast Lane, and then we're going to make our picks for next week at Martinsville. We'll be right back. In today's world, everything has a catch. Free shipping within a limited area. Free delivery, except if you live more than two blocks from the pizza place. No luggage fees. Oh, you didn't read the fine print? That's only one way. No deposit required, except in your state. Well, here at Performance Motorsports Network, everything is free and there's no disclaimer. It's simply the best in gearhead and racing program anywhere. From off-road to boats, from NASCAR to tractor pulling, from road course to short track roundy round, from motorcycle flat track to Formula One, from Jeeps and trucks to lawnmowers. Here at Performance Motorsports Network, we feature a mix of programming designed with the gearhead in mind. And there's no small print. Male, female, no matter if you're a two-wheel enthusiast, off-roader, or if you like all four wheels on the ground. Hell, we even cover jet-powered barstool racing. Plus an incredible playlist of cruising tunes to provide the soundtrack for your next road trip. Check us out, PerformanceMotorsportsNetwork.com and PMN2, your source for motorsports. Hey, and we're back. Thanks for joining us tonight. We're, now we're in our last segment. We're talking equal representation in the top ten. i got to tell you, Mateo, to look at that top ten and look at the breakouts that we had with the four Toyotas, the three Fords, and the three Chevrolets, um, it would seem to be a very good race all in all. Yeah, I mean, you had the Toyotas that really were able to dominate the day with Drux and Bush, but you also had Hamlin and Jones in that contingent who really made their presence known, even if not fighting for the top uh, spot. I mean, they were up there the entire day, it seemed like. And you got the Fords, you got Penske, um, you got your Stuart Haas missing, uh, and then you got the Chevys with the one Chip Ganassi, one Hendrick, and one RCR car. 
Yeah, I mean, Kyle Larson finishing second, you know, for the Chevrolet camp. And then you got uh, Jimmy Johnson finally getting up there, finishing in that top 10 spot. And then Austin Dillon comes back with a pretty good run for the Chevrolet camp. So, you know, is Chevrolet touching, you know, did they find something maybe a little bit more on that aerodynamic track, just like they had at uh, Daytona? I mean, it's hard to say. I feel like Larson did. I feel like uh, his team in that 42 They've figured something out. Um, it's hard to say whether the rest, the the other two have. I mean, Johnson finished ninth. I think Dylan finished tenth. I mean, it seems like Dylan has had decent speed on the big tracks, but it's hard to say whether they've really found something since the other cars in that organization, both Hendrick and RCR, haven't really been able to find that same speed. Yeah, Johnson finishing, you know, top five after the first stage and then finishing top seven, you know, finishing seventh in that second stage, um, you know, had a little bit there. I think, you know, they had a decent car all day long. It just wasn't a car that could, you know, get up there in that top three. I mean, I think that if they had a very short run there at the end, um, you know, if a caution had come out, I think maybe they would have been able to do something and probably shown their nose per se. Um, you know, for that Chevrolet camp. But listen, give it out to the Fords again. You know, what a great year they're having. All three Penske, you know, cars in the top ten once again. Yeah, I mean, I think definitely Blaney surprised me from having those issues early on, hitting the wall, having the pit, falling a lap down, to being able to claw their way back inside the top ten. I think he ended up like eighth. And... That, that that really impressed me to see him be able to keep his cool, work his work it through, and be able to come back. And while he didn't contend for the win, obviously, he definitely uh, got back into a better spot than he could have been. Could have been a day ender. Yeah, I was very shocked on the uh, with the Fords with Joey Logano as well. I mean, again, finishing third after stage one, and then finishing sixth after stage two, and then you know when it came down to that final pit stop. Um, for tires and fuel, he kind of pitted a little early. I, uh, you know, I'm just wondering if they thought that there would be another caution. Um, you know, stats shown that the last caution there at Fontana every year happens within that 10 to go, and they've gone to overtime, or their uh, their theory or their process of overtime it seems to be changed every single year. Um, so I'm just wondering if they had a different strategy in mind, but I really thought that he ran well all day long as well and probably could have been up there um, within that top two, you know, fighting that Toyota and that Chevrolet. Yeah, I mean, they were definitely pretty fast. They led a few laps, um, but not they didn't quite have what Toyota had, and even I don't think what Larson had, but I, they were definitely fast, definitely uh represented the blue oval well all day all three cars really yeah and again you know when talking about equal representation we really didn't haven't seen this you know pretty much all year yet again we talked about this earlier where you know one team or one manufacturer would get out and run which is pretty much ford you know your toyotas and chevrolet struggled quite a bit and would make up the back half of that top 10 or that top 15 but to see that many cars you know, again, four Toyotas in the top ten, three Fords, all Penske, and then three different Chevrolets um, coming up through there in that top ten. Really kind of showed that, 
you know, Fontana seems to be, you know, the arrow track that everybody really, really seems to like. Yeah, I think if the Chevys especially surprised me that they were able to hold their own as well as they did after their less than uh, stellar performances at Atlanta and Vegas. The fact that they were able to stay up there near the top 10 and a couple of cars get in the top 10 impressed me with that new car. Yeah, I, I really thought that, you know, we, we talk about the Chevrolets a little bit more. I really thought that, that we would see more out of Chase Elliott. Um, you know, I'm not really sure kind of what's going on with that team. They seem to have struggled all, all year long, really. Um, being a lap down, finishing in that 16th position, really thought that would have been a track that they would have, gone, you know, came out and did well. Again, seeing the different you know, manufacturers in the top 10, I thought he would have been one of the Chevrolet, you know, manufacturer vehicles to get up there, but that just didn't seem to happen. Yeah, it's strange the way that nine team has been performing all year. They had a good day at Phoenix last week, but they got wiped out by Kurt Busch. They had a good day at Daytona. They got caught up in a wreck. I mean, their good days have been really uh, ended by whatever bad luck or collisions they've had and then the days they keep it clean are the days where they just can't find that speed yeah that chevrolet you're right that team seems to be struggling i mean you know it came out on wednesday last wednesday before the fontana race that they got hit with a penalty um another l1 penalty so you know again they're, they're going to probably lose or i think they did decide to drop the appeal now that they're done with california coming back to the east coast for the next several weeks um, you know, they dropped that, you know, that appeal. So they're going to lose their car chief for a couple of weeks as well. Yeah. And they also lose, however, I think it was 25 points and that really killed him in the standings. He went dropped from like 16th to 23rd, I believe it was behind two of his Hendrick teammates. Yeah. going to be a real struggle for, for that team to get back on it. But again, as we talked about earlier, we've got some pretty decent tracks that I think Chase Elliott and that team runs well with. Again, we're headed back to Martinsville next week um, before they take the Easter break. He ran well. If those who remember the last Martinsville race in October, where it came down to himself and Denny Hamlin, we all know what happened with that one. Yeah. I mean, that was a, uh, that was one heck of a battle and, Went off the track a little bit, but uh, it will be fun to see what he and uh, his Hendrick teammates and everybody else can do at uh, Martinsville. Well, I, I, I kind of really am excited to see what happens at Martinsville again. I think that if there's any you know, chance at redemption or payback, it, it very well could happen again. Um, you know, between Hamlin and, and, you know, Chase Elliott, but, you know, again... We'll have to see. He does run really well there. So I think that they'll be looking at that first, being that they are struggling in the points and they need to get back up there. So a big win for that one would uh, set that team kind of in the right motion, I would think. Yeah, and I think any team at Hendrick would really be set in that uh, in that right direction by a win in the next few weeks. I mean, they haven't really been in that place where they can lead laps yet. So we'll have to see what happens in the next handful of weeks. Yep, totally agree. Well, folks, this is part of our last topic, but we've got two new little segments we're going to roll in here, and one of them's called Fast Lane, where each one of us will ask the other one a question, 
give them a couple minutes to talk about it or to answer that question or anything. It could be random, anything having to do with speed. Mateo, we'll let you even go first this week. Uh, my question is actually bouncing off of what we were just talking about. Um, of the Hendrick drivers, who gets their first w- win in 2018 and where? Or will they just go winless in 2018 as outside of the uh, outside of the norm as that would be? Well, I don't think they're going to go winless. I think that you're going to see the first win that's going to come from the Hendrick Motorsports drivers I think is going to be Jimmy Johnson, and that is probably going to be at Charlotte. I think that, you know, as many wins as he has at Charlotte, and he owns Charlotte pretty much, um, I think that's where he's going to get back to where he needs to be. Again, they ran really, really well this week. Again, finishing ninth. Again, not taking a qualifying lap, starting 33rd. I almost said 43rd. I don't even think we have four. We only have 37 cars. He can't start 43rd. Starting 33rd and then to turn around and get up into that ninth place finish um, and get some stage points. I, I, I think that's going to be my pick. That Jimmy Johnson's going to be my pick for that team to uh, get off the old donut, as they say. Yeah, I mean, I can certainly see that. Uh, Charlotte is the house that Jimmy built, after all. I mean, even in his struggles, he's performed surprisingly well uh, in the context of the last few seasons, so... I think, but I really think anywhere Jimmy could win. I mean, you look at last year, he won three three races, right, pretty much in a row, and didn't really do much the rest of the year. I mean, he could win anywhere. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. So my question to you is, and we talked about this earlier, is that what does NASCAR have to do to fix qualifying? You know, TV is paying a lot of money. And they're airing this stuff. And if you're only going to sit and watch 24 cars qualify, what has NASCAR got to do? How are they going to fix this? I mean, I think you got to give a bigger punishment for not qualifying or for failing inspection. I mean, I think starting from the rear isn't enough. Clearly it isn't enough for teams to consider just or not consider making those changes that might not pass. I think you have to give them a pass-through, even start them a lap down from everybody else. You have to give them more than a slap on the wrist. I don't think a monetary penalty is the way to go. I think an on-track penalty that'll put you behind the eight ball far enough to where teams won't try it is going to be the way to go here. Yeah, I totally agree with you, especially if we're getting down into, uh, you know, tracks where tires become, you know, pretty important, where some teams may not want to go through that inspection or pass that inspection so they can keep those additional tires and keep those sticker tires such as Darlington. But I think that would be, you know, a little bit more of a safety issue as they got, you know, later on down in that race. Oh, yeah, I think Darlington's one of those tracks where they just eat up tires similar to Atlanta, similar to Fontana. And yeah, I think that becomes a safety issue when you start going out on different tires, different uh different number of laps on your tires, you're gonna have a huge speed differential there. Yep, totally agree with you. All right, race fans, well it's almost time for us to say goodnight, but first off we gotta get in our little picks for next week at Martinsville. 
Again, I'll even let you go first this week. All right. Um, I've got uh, I've got a driver who has had a rather famous wreck there, um, but given uh, that he was leading during that wreck and uh, that he's really led a lot of laps and shown some speed this year so far, I'm going to go with Joey Logano. Yeah, I, I, think, I no, totally agree. Sorry. Go ahead. Um, I think he has just shown a ton of speed at uh, Martinsville, uh, and really he hasn't struggled there as much as a lot of guys have as much as I don't want to say younger because he's been around a while, but I think he, uh, I think he's definitely shown the speed there that even guys like Denny Hamlin and Jimmy Johnson and even Jeff Gordon, the masters of that track, have shown, and I think he could be added to that list in the next handful of years. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think it, uh, you know, my pick this week coming up in Martinsville is someone who has ran really well there and actually did was in leading the race. When it came down to the final few laps, and I'm going with bad Brad Kozlowski. I think we're doing an all-Penske team here this week. So stay tuned for that, and we'll see how it turns out. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, uh, could we could be really happy at the uh, end of Sunday, and we could be very, very disappointed. You never know. We could be getting a lot of booze the next time we check in with you guys, race fans. So... This is the Uncontrolled Tire. I'm Brian Donati. He's Matteo Mateschi. We'll see you then. Good night.